I am glad to be with you guys this morning, and um, it's a little warmer now than it was a couple hours ago. Um, but yesterday morning, I had, a, I had an opportunity. I went to coffee with a friend of mine, and uh, was sitting in a room with Joe's, and we were just just talking and catching up, and kind of um, you know doing life together, and 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 um, and thinking about things. And 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 real real quick before we finish that story. I, I know some of you in this room are count. You got the countdown, right? You got the countdown to one o'clock, one o five. Some of you are licking wounds because you're Colts fans, but that's okay. There's always next year, okay? Um, but 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 for the rest of you, I, w- I want you to know, um, uh, God's got this, okay? So so don't sweat it, all right? Don't sweat it. He's more important than football, all right? Anyway, let's keep going, and I'll have you out in time. All right, um, but uh, but but. But I was sitting there having coffee, and we were just talking, talking about things, talking about things, and and uh, he he kind of there was a pause in the conversation, and he looked at me. He said, "You know what I love about Summit? You know what I love about Summit?" And I, I was like, "What do you love about Summit?" He said, "I love the rawness of Summit. I love that you don't have lights, even though I know some folks on our worship team would love to have some of those moving lights and maybe a disco ball and stuff like that. That's cute, um, but." Um, you know, we don't, you know we, don't have a, we don't have a smoke machine or a hazer or, or anything like that. Although, man, what would it look like for there to just be like a cloud? You know what I'm saying? Anyway, um, or maybe just some, we were at Disney on Ice a couple weeks ago and, and, and Elsa um, descended from, from the roof of uh, the Civic Center down onto the ice. And I was like, that would be a killer entrance for a Christmas Eve service. And so, shameless plug for Christmas Eve 2019, you may, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but, like, you know, he, he, he was just commenting about, you know, and, and he's like, there's, there's just a rawness. And as I sat there and, and kind of thought about that, number one, I thanked God. Because when God called me here eight years ago, I, I, you know, I wanted to, um, I just wanted to be a church that keeps the main thing the main thing. Um, when, when I was a youth pastor, uh, a long time ago, and and started out in youth ministry. Um, one of the one of the first things we did, we had a youth group of like thirteen students, and they had these bean bags. And I noticed that the students were having a hard time paying attention because they were sitting in these bean bags, you know. And there and there was it was very game centered and all of that. And so, as a cool hip youth pastor, we took away the bean bags. We actually sold them in a yard sale without telling the students. It was awesome. They were really mad, and. Um, and, and we took away the games, and we inserted these metal chairs and put a Bible on every metal chair. It's amazing what happens when you expect things from your students. And our student ministry, people are, the youth pastors around were like, dude, that's dumb. Like, they're not going to come if you don't let them be comfortable. Yet, we, we grew from 13 to 120. So it was amazing what happened um, when we actually looked at the Bible. But anyway, um, it, was the, it was a rawness that... That, that, that drew me um, into ministry. Like, look, what does it look like to, to strip away the wrappings of church and the wrappings of, of what it is, and let's just get to the rawness. And why are you telling us that story this morning, Travis? Good question. Let me answer it for you. Because as we walk into a series on prayer, as we walk into looking at what Jesus has to say about teaching His people to pray... In our prayer lives, we need less of a show, and we need more rawness. But yet, many of us have a Sunday school picture 
of what our relationship with God is supposed to be like. Put together, words together, you know, all, all of these types of things. And, and one of the things that I talked about two years ago or so when I did a prayer series was this, that when the temperature gets turned up enough, everybody prays. When the temperature gets turned up in our life enough, everybody prays. And we revert back. And, and, and I don't know about you, but I've, I've been in some prayer meetings in my life. Anybody ever been in a prayer meeting? Okay, good. So you, you may have had the same experience as I've had. And, and you don't have to raise your hand because I don't want you to make anybody around you feel bad if you've been in a prayer meeting with them. But have you ever been in the prayer meeting where um, as you're going around the circle or as the popcorn prayers, right? Have you ever done that, the popcorn prayers? Which basically is, is a free-for-all, right? The first person's praying and there's no order to it, right? This person's going to pray and then the person diagonal is going to pray and then you, not, you, you don't have a clue what's coming next, Right? Because you, you don't know who's going to pray. Like, there's no order. It's just popcorn, right? But you've been in the, you've been in the prayer meetings, and you're going around, and people are, are praying. And, and, and some of you are like, where is he going with this? This sounds pretty irreverent. But just bear with me for a second. Because you've been in these prayer meetings where, where you're going around, and it's almost like everybody's trying to one-up the prayer before them. Like, okay, that person did seven these and thou, so I need to do ten right? Or, you know, this person prayed for that, and I need to pray for that plus. And we don't base our prayers on our raw relationship with God. We base our prayers on performance and the people around us. Because we think that our prayers are for the people around us. Now, before you go too far for that, with that, I've been encouraged by prayers from the people around me. But that's not why I pray. When I pray, whether it's out loud, when I pray in my car, when I pray over here before I'm, I come up and step in this pulpit, when I pray, whenever I pray, whenever I talk to God, it is about my relationship with God. It is a conversation between me and the Father. And see, and see here's the thing, because we've got to debunk some things when it comes to prayer. If we're going to get to the heart of prayer here, if we're going to get to the heart of deeper communication with God, we've got to, we've got to take some of the wrappings off when it comes to, when it comes to prayer. God is concerned with your heart. And God, as we're going to see today, wants a deeper relationship with you. He wants a deeper conversation with you than performance where you're just trying to you know, impress or trying to say the right things or, or, or what have you. I think the most sincere prayers are the prayers that we pray when the temperature is the hottest in our life and we're the most real with God. I think, the, I think the most sincere prayers are those prayers where we say, God, I don't have a clue what you're doing in this situation, and I kind of wish you would stop. But help me. Those are the moments where I feel like our hearts are most connected with God. See, I have a definition of prayer, and, and, and I don't remember where I got this. I wish I could give credit to whoever first said it, but I don't know, so just give me credit. Um... But I, I, I saw this or heard this years and years ago, and, and prayer is defined as constant communion with the Father. 
constant communion with the Father. And I want you to notice that because many of us, if we were to define prayer, it would be communication. It would be communication. But communion, communion expresses a deeper sense when it comes to prayer. There's this union, there's this, there's this connection, there's this two-way street, right? It's not just me giving God my list, it's a, it's, it's a conversation, it's a two-way street. And there are some times in my prayer life where the best thing for me to do is stop and wait. Where the best thing for me to do is be quiet and listen. But many of us, many of us, when it, comes to, uh, when it comes to prayer, don't have a clue what to do with God when we're done with our list. And so for some of us, our prayer life looks like, and, 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 and it doesn't matter where your prayer life is today, this message applies to you, and I, and I don't want you to hear that I'm, 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 I'm bashing anybody's prayer life. I just, want it, I, just, I just want to encourage you and challenge you to go deeper in your prayer life. But for, for many people in our culture today, our prayer life looks like this. God, I'm giving you my list. Here you go. And then we don't know what to do with God, right? So we're like, um, okay, there it all is. I'm going to go watch some TV, and I'll wait. You know what I mean? I'm going to go watch some TV. I'm going to go back to my life. I've given you my list. And, and I kind of expect, there's this expectation, right, that God's just going to put something in the mailbox. God's just going to send somebody to the front door. God's just going to... But what does it look like if you, okay, God, here's my list. Here are the things that I'm wrestling with. Here are the things I'm dealing with. What do you think about that? What do you want to say to that? What scripture would you give me for this passage or for this concern or for this situation that's going on in my life? So this constant communion with God, knowing God and understanding His heart, aligning our heart with His heart, that's prayer. Accessing His power is prayer. And so if you look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 15, and I want us to look at it actually together in the King James Version, um, and so that's going to pop up on the screen uh, for us real quick, and I want us to kind of look at it. I thought about having us read it together, um, but, but I don't... We don't need to do that. I'll, I'll just read it for us. And many of us have, have learned the Lord's Prayer this way. And if you're anything like my Sunday school class, right, if you were able to recite this perfectly, you got to have a Tootsie Pop before you left Sunday school, and then you had to hold on to it the entire Sunday service before you could have it, and then your parents wouldn't even let you have it because it would spoil your lunch. And so you never got to have it. It always ended up in mom or dad's mouth. Sorry, too close to home? Too personal? Okay, sorry. Maybe that was nobody else. Maybe that was just me. After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. 
There's a lot in this verse. In fact, um, Elmer Towns, who wrote a book called Praying Through the Lord's Prayer, I've, I've been using it kind of as a resource, and Pastor Ian's been using it as a resource for questions and all that. It's a great book on the Lord's Prayer. And, and one of the things um, that, that he points out is how there's, there's seven petitions. There are seven asks here that Jesus gives the people in his Sermon on the Mount as he's preaching to this group of people on the side of a hill, which if you want a picture of that, it's, it's fascinating to picture the setting here as Jesus is teaching these people how to pray. Because, because what, what scholars and, and, and Bible teachers talk about with Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount is that all these people were following him, they approached this hill, and Jesus just sat down which is awesome, right? What a beautiful picture in your mind. Jesus didn't stand up on a podium. Jesus didn't, didn't get a lectern. Jesus didn't get mic'd up or anything like that. He sat down and people gathered. And then he goes on this like three-chapter sermon where he deals with almost anything and everything. He deals with giving. He deals with sin. He deals with all these, all these things. And, and, and in the middle of this sermon, he talks about prayer. And the setting of that is just fascinating to think about. Jesus is sitting on the side of a hill with all these people gathered, and he teaches people how to pray. Now, in this model prayer, he talks about seven petitions, which is why we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about this, because we're not going to unpack all of this today. But there are seven things that he deals with in this prayer that I believe if we apply to our prayer lives, it would be transformative in our communication with God. Let's look at this in the ESV. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 15. He says there, do not, uh, excuse me, pray, pray then like this. Pray then like this. See, many people think this is a prayer just for us to recite, and I think that's beautiful, and I think that's great, and I think people do that every day, and, and, that's, and that's awesome. But what Jesus is really getting after is that this is the model for prayer. This is the model for prayer. And where I want us to look at today is where do our prayer lives start? Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's all we're going to deal with today, but I want us to read the rest of it. Okay, I want us to read the rest of it and then we're going to come back. But that's all we're going to deal with today. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you, have forgiven, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The purpose of Jesus giving this prayer to his followers wasn't just that we could pray this prayer. It wasn't just so that we could recite this prayer at gatherings or different places, but, 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 so that, but, but so that we would know, right, that preceding this prayer wasn't praying in vain petition, but we don't just keep praying this over and over again. God is looking for constant, all-day, everyday communion with you. God is looking for all-day, everyday, constant communion with His children, and this is how we should pray. So why should we pray this prayer? We see it here in the beginning. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Number one, our prayer identifies us as his. I want you to notice what Jesus says here. He says, our Father. Everybody say that. Our Father. That's why we pray. 
That, and I want you to notice something. That's why we get to pray. We get to pray because Jesus says, our Father. He could have said, my Father. He could have made this His thing. But He, does, he doesn't. He says, our Father. This is why we pray. See, my prayer, when I think about this, every time I look at this and study this and see those words right there, our Father, my prayer life gets revolutionized. Because I get to go to the Father. I get to go to the Father. How deep the Father's love for us, we just sang. Good, good Father, we just sang. I pray because it identifies me as a child of God. I get to go to God and say, Father, dear Father, God, Daddy, however you approach God in different seasons at different times, there are times in my life where I'm driving home and I'll say, okay, God, we got to deal with this. We got to deal with this. And there are times in my prayer life where I'm sitting in my living room with with the Bible open and I say, Daddy, thank you. Right? Maybe the best way to exemplify that or to illustrate that is there are times you call your spouse different names, aren't there? Okay, let's keep going. But we are called the children of God. And at different times, at different times, we address God differently. And what you need to hear me say this morning is there are some of you that are walking in different things right now, and you're addressing God in some different ways. And I want you to know that's okay. I want you to know that's okay. I want you to know that's okay. You're a child of God. You're a child of God. You're a child of God. And if we think, if we think, if we think, dads, hear me for a second. Hear me for a second. If we think God can't handle that, what does that say about our view of the Father? We're going to jump back to that in a minute. But we get to be called children of God. Our prayer identifies us as His. If you look at Luke chapter 15, you don't necessarily have to turn there. It's going to show up on the screen. We've got the story of the prodigal son. Story of the prodigal son. Many of you are familiar with the story of the prodigal son, right? There was this man with two sons, and the younger son came to his father and said, I want my share of the property. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to spread my wings and fly. So he gathered all that he had. He took it into the far country. He squandered his property in reckless living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country. He began to be in need. So he went and found, uh, found himself living and, and, and feeding pigs, eating among the pigs. And then he came to himself one day and he said, you know what? My father's servants live better than I'm living right now. Maybe if I go home, dad will let me be one of his servants. And so he goes home. He goes home. What happens? Dad sees him far off and he runs to him. Runs to him which was not customary at this time for dads to do, right? But dad's on the front porch, sees his son a long way off, runs to him, restores him, puts a ring on his finger, puts shoes on his feet, throws a party for him. And then we're going to pick up in verse 25. Now the older son, the older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. They weren't a Baptist house. He heard music and dancing. 
And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to them, your brother has come home. And your father has killed the fattened calf. And because he has received him back safe and sound, he's restored him. So the brother celebrated, right? As any older brother would do. Verse 28, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And I read commentary after commentary this week, yet again, looking for something, some clue, some hint as to what happens after this story. Because many, many, um, many commentators and scholars, they, they, they cross-reference this passage with Jonah chapter 4. You know the story of Jonah, right? He's called to a town. He goes in the, in the complete opposite direction because he's like, God, I just don't, I don't want to go there. The, the, the calling is too difficult, right? I'm glad I've never gone the complete opposite direction that God has led me to. Um, glad that that was just Jonah's story. Um, Jonah ends up in the belly of a big fish, right? Prays a beautiful prayer in Jonah chapter 2. God spits him out onto the beach. Jonah goes and is obedient to God. And then Jonah chapter 4, God relents because the whole city turned from their sin. Repented from their sin, turned from their sin. And then, instead of rejoicing, Jonah gets angry at God. Like, God, are you serious? I knew you were going to do this right? Why did you bring me here? Why did you send me here to do this if you were just going to restore them? If you were just going to not do what you now you're kind of making me out to be a fool. And here we have the older son, here we have the older son who ought to be rejoicing because younger brother is home, but instead is frustrated because he was in, he's been out in the field, he's been doing two jobs, you know, because he had to cover the weight of his younger brother who was out having the time of his life and yada, 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 and spending all this money and doing all this stuff, right, in his eyes, having the time of his life, right? And, 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 and now he's back, and instead of there being discipline, instead of there being in his mind, probably one of the servants, probably he deserved a vacation, he deserved a feast, it's time for a little brother to get to work, right? There's a party. And we see son go to dad and say, all these years you never even let me have a goat to have a party with my friends, and yet this son of yours, can you hear it in his voice? This son of yours comes home and you kill the fattened calf. And about nine years ago, I heard a pastor who was preaching on this say these words. But the older son missed the heart of the father. Because if the older son had known the heart of the father, he would have known that the heart of the father was for his son. Not for the work in the fields. The heart of the father was for the son. And you can almost hear the father in his, in his excitement that son is home. 
You can almost hear him say that to his older son. Son, if you'd have known my heart, if you'd have known my heart, you'd be rejoicing right alongside of us. And yet, how many of us let our preferences, our past experiences, the things we've learned about religion and the things we've learned about different things, they, 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 they lead to grudges in the kingdom of God instead of knowing the heart of the Father. That the heart of the Father is for His Son. The heart of the Father is for His Son. Then you look at 1 John chapter 3, and, 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 and then we'll move on. See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not been yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. We get to be called children of God. And see, here's where prayer starts. Here's where prayer starts. Prayer starts with the awe of God. Prayer starts with the awe of God. I, you may have seen our church's Facebook page the other day, but I love driving home in the early morning. To me, to me, and I know not everybody's like this. I know, I know not everybody's like this, and I'm not saying you should be like this, because before kids, well, I can't even say that. Before three came, I never saw a sunrise. But then number three came, and it just seemed like sleep was overrated, like for real. And, and, and I've never reverted back. And so now, I see the sunrise almost every morning. And, 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 and at our house, if you walk out our front door, if you're standing in our driveway, you look, and, and there's a farm just across the way, and you just see the sun come up. And, and, and I just see the awe of God in it. I just see the awe of God in it. Back in September, I was in um, Vermont doing what's called a Spartan race. I don't recommend it. You can ask Jamie for his recommendation right, right here. He did it with me. Um, he, he, didn't, he, he, he didn't think very much of it. Um, but there was a point in the race, and, and basically you do three climbs. You, 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 you bag three peaks in hiking in this one race. And, and we did it in about seven hours or so, maybe a little more. And, um, and, and there was a point about halfway in the race where you have to climb this 10 to 15 foot wall. And you get to the very top of this wall and you're on the peak of this mountain. And when you get to the top of this wall and you look out, you just see God's creation everywhere. And there were some people that needed help because they were vertically challenged to be able to get to the place where they could get to the top of this wall. And so being vertically blessed and needing a break, I decided I'll sit at the bottom of this wall and help some people get up. But I made them promise me as I was hoisting them up, hey, promise me that when you get to the top of this wall, you stop and you look. And you look at God's creation. You just, you just look. Like, just promise me you stop. I didn't know these people. They didn't know me. They just knew I was tall and that I could help them in their time of need. Right? That's all they knew. And, and, and that's all they knew. Right? And Jamie, Jamie was right there and, and watching me. Well, I don't know if he was watching me or staring at the ground. But either way, um, 
Either way, as we help people, as we help people get up and, 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 and they stop there, you could hear them. You could hear the oohs. You could hear the ahs, right? It doesn't matter who you are. When you consider creation, there is an awe. There's an awe of God. It doesn't mean if you're, it, does, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian. It doesn't matter if, if you're not a Christian. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for five minutes or five decades. You see the awe of God everywhere. If you're a parent, you see the awe of God in your kids. Right? I mean, you see the awe of God. It's impossible to look out even when there's white stuff on the ground and not see the awe of God. And that's where our prayer lives start, is the awe of God. The awe of God. When Jesus looks at these people on the side of this hill as He's sitting down in the middle of this Sermon on the Mount and He says, Our Father, think about the awe that is wrapped in the fact that you, you, no matter where you've been, no matter where you're at right now, no matter what your life looks like right now and how messed up it may be, if you're a child of God, you get to say, my Father, our Father, Daddy, God, I need you. And that's the all God. That's the all of God. It identifies us as children of God. And then the second part, so kind of a 1B, is it realigns our perspective. Because notice what he says, our Father in heaven. Remember what we said in the beginning of, of this message that when the temperature gets turned up enough, right, everybody prays? Right? When the temperature gets turned up enough, everybody prays. No, no matter what, no matter what situation, no matter what they're going through in their life, when the temperature gets turned up, everybody prays. When we pray like this, our Father in heaven, it gives us an eternal perspective. Because so many of us, the temperature is so high in our lives because all we can see is right here. All we can see is what's in front of us. All we can see is the crisis. All we can see is this situation. And we're in panic mode. But when we pray the way that Jesus gave us the model to pray, our Father in heaven. Okay, wait a second. If I put this in eternity, how big of an issue is this? We, we, we major. In fact, I would say we're professionals at taking two issues on a scale of 1 to 10 and making them 11s. We're pros at taking small situations and blowing them up, right? And, and taking them out of proportion and saying, okay, this has now become a crisis when really it's a 2. It's a 1. may not even be on the scale. And when we pray the way that Jesus teaches us to pray, our Father in heaven, it realigns our perspective. It reminds us, okay, there's eternity here, and, and, and he's, he, God is big. God is outside of time and space. He's a big God, and prayer reminds us of our eternal perspective. And then number two, we've got we to get moving. We've got to get moving. Number two, we kind of already mentioned this. Our prayer reveals how we see God. Our prayer reveals how we see God. Our Father 
in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our prayer reveals how we see God. See, see this, this, this word hallowed means honor. It means holy. Hallowed, honor be your name. Holy be your name. That's what, what happens when we realign ourselves in prayer. When we commune with God here, we're reminded of our created purpose, that our created purpose in our created being is God's praise. We're reminded that we exist to glorify God, nothing else. Can I tell you something? That's what worship is about. That's what worship is about. We, we sing songs. We sing songs not, not to make the worship team feel good about themselves or, or, or whatever. We sing songs to bring honor to God and to realign ourselves with God. God, you're a good father. God, you have a deep love for me. And, and those songs realign our heart with his heart. And, and, and when we come into the message and, and the way we see God's word, right, it realigns our heart with his heart. So what does it mean to hallow his name? It means holy. It means worship. It means to set apart as holy, to treat as holy. The best modern word perhaps is reverence or worship. When you pray, hallowed be your name, you're, you're saying, what you're praying is let your name be holy and reverence on earth as it already is in heaven. May your name be given the unique reverence that is due your character and nature as the Heavenly Father. And so if we go back to our prayer lives and we, and we say, okay God, you know what? Uh, here's my list. I need you to fix this. I need you to provide for that. I need this person to be healed. I need that person out of the hospital. I need, your, I need an answer on this job situation because I don't know what to do. I need an answer on this relationship. I need an answer on this friend conflict. God, okay, so there's my list. I'm going to go watch some TV. Let me know when you've got some answers for me. What's your view of God? God is not your fast food hash brown getter. He's your father. And you get to call him father. The fact, the fact that we can come before God and sit at his feet and commune with Him and talk to Him. The fact that we're given a model to do that. We're not worthy! And there ought to be reverence. There ought to be worship. There ought to be worship outside of Sunday morning. There ought to be worship in the fact that we get to be called sons and daughters of God and view God as bigger than our fast food person I want this I want this I want this I want this anything else any other way I can serve you who's the master in this relationship your prayer life your prayer life reveals your view of God is God your bailout Is God your last resort? 
I've heard it said in conversations and I've probably even been part of these conversations. I just can't remember a specific time right now where talking about a situation, talking about a crisis, talking about a concern, and someone would stop me and, and say, or, or, or someone would be stopped in mid-conversation and say, have you prayed about it yet? Really? What's your view of God? Our Father, we get to call Him Father, in heaven, eternal perspective, hallowed be Your name. Our prayer is the front door. It opens the door. It, it is the key. It is the key to our worship. You want to know how you're worshiping? How's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? I was um, listening to a sermon by someone that I, I love and respect and look up to talking about prayer. And, um, he, was talking, he was talking about how he used to pastor a church. I think I might have shared this back in December as we were talking about this series. But he used to pastor a church and he used to have a staff of about 100 people or so. And he would walk into staff meetings some days and, and he would look at his, his staff and he would honestly say, he would honestly say this, he would say, I need to know if you're not praying for at least an hour a day here. I need to know if you're not praying for at least an hour a day here. I was like, whoa, where's he going for this, with this? And he said, I need to know if you're not praying for at least an hour a day here so that I can fire you. Didn't see that one coming. Because if you're not praying for an hour a day in a church staff position, who are you relying on? What's your source for life? How do you see this God that we're trying to lift up and, and, and that cares about people and that wants to reach people here? And I thought to myself, wow. Number one, I'm glad I don't serve in His church. And number two, wow. Who am I relying on? What's my perspective? How's my prayer life? And I think that's my question for you this morning. As we walk into communion, which prayer is this constant communion with God and here's this reminder that we get to be called sons and daughters of God. We're going to talk about later give us this day our daily bread, right? But my question for you is who are you relying on? I sat in a room on Wednesday and we were talking about some of the challenges some of the challenges of kind of the main culture and ministry. And I don't, I don't buy into a lot of it, and I don't think it's just Maine anymore. I think it's kind of, I think it's everywhere. But one of the challenges that we talked about when it comes to ministry, and really when it comes to ourselves, is that we as people have become our own God. So we don't need God. I can do this. 
I can fix this. I can handle this. I don't need your help, and I certainly don't need a God's help who may or may not be real. And that's many times our culture's view of God. And I think if we're real with ourselves this morning, if we go deeper with that for just a second, if we think about that just a little bit deeper, maybe we struggle with that view of God. How many things are you just trying to fix? How many things are you just trying to handle? And what does that say about your view of God? I think the biggest prayer we can pray this morning is, Father, I need you in my life. I need you in my life. Make yourself present in my life. Give me confidence in you for today. It starts with how you see Him.